And so what I want to do today is not talk about anything that's somber. Our, our brother, Tad, um, is in serious condition. It's serious. And uh, we need to continue to pray. And what we need in moments like this is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the glory of everything. And so what we need to do in the good moments and the difficult moments is to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ once again. So if you will indulge me, I would like to do that this morning with us is to take a look again at the glory of Jesus and be reminded of the hope that we have because of who he is. So what I'm going to do is not the normal course of teaching. I'm going to skip ahead to Revelation 4. We're in Revelation 2, but I'm going to skip ahead and I want us to see today some unique things about Jesus and that we would be reminded of those. And I'm going to really scare you now. We're going to do chapter 4 and 5, I am. We have all day today. It's going to be hot today and it's going to rain again, but we're going to get through this. It won't take us long, but I'm going to, I want to, well, it'll take, it'll take until we're finished, but um, it'll be at the regular time. If you would look with me in Revelation chapter one, I want to remind us of a verse here. I believe in a chronological, more chronological sequence to the book of Revelation based on Jesus's words in Revelation 1, 19. So Jesus tells John how he's to write things out. And we're going to see that reality today. So in verse 19, he says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So Revelation 1 is the things that John had seen on the Isle of Patmos when Jesus appears and tells him what's going to happen. Revelation 2 and 3 are the churches. They are descriptions of real churches in Asia Minor. So they are the things that are. These are the conditions of the churches. And John was to write down Jesus' words. These words were to go to the churches. They were to read this out loud. They were to consider these things and to make adjustments. When, and when you get to Revelation chapter 4, we'll read that verse 1 in just a moment. All the way through verse 20 is the future things that are going to be connected to the earth. When you get to Revelation 21 and 22, they are about the new heaven and the new earth. So from chapter 4 to chapter to the end of chapter 20, we are seeing the future things that are going to happen and are going to take place. And so if you would, turn to chapter 4 now, and I want you to read verse 1. And we will see exactly the phrase at the end of Revelation 1.19 that Jesus says the exact phrase here. In Revelation 4, 1. So this is after he is taught on the church of Laodicea. And then John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here. And here's the exact phrasing is 119. And I will show you what must take place after this. So John has a vision. And as John has this vision, he sees a door that is standing open in heaven. And we get to see inside this door as we walk through the text. So chapters 4 and 5 is this vision, this peek into the door in heaven. 
So Jesus first showed John unique things about himself in Revelation chapter 1. And then he showed John the vision of the seven churches and the words that are there. And now John is going to be given the longest of the three visions that he has of this revelation that will take him all the way through the seals, the bowls, and the trumpets. And so this will be happening. And so this unveiling as we get to chapter 4 is connected with what John begins to see here. And the first thing that John sees and is reminded of is this verse is Jesus. Jesus who talked to him in Revelation chapter 1. And so with the words come up here, the voice summons John to not only look into heaven, but invites him to come inside of heaven itself. So this vision that John has is not one where he physically goes there, but this is through a vision, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And there is access, there is a door that is open to John. So John sees here what we believe is called the third heaven. The first heaven is the sky. Second heaven is the universe and the planets and the, the stars and all of those things as far as what we can see and even beyond that. The third heaven is where God is and where God is sitting on his throne. It's the same third heaven that Paul described in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, where most likely Paul is speaking of himself, but he's writing and speaking and writing in third person. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So John has this unique experience. Through a vision, he's taken up this open door that's there, and he's able to peek inside of heaven. This voice has called him. He's given him, this voice has given John this great invitation. You come up here. I'm going to reveal things to you, John. I'm going to show you heaven and I'm going to show you what takes place and what happens in the throne room of heaven. And and the verse says there, which must take place after this, indicating this reality that you're about to see the one who has sovereign control of everything, of everything over the universe. This one that you're about to see, that you're invited and I'm going to reveal these things to you I am in control, and, I'm a, and I've got knowledge about everything, and so therefore you can trust me. So look at verse 2. And so it says, when the voice calls, at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So as God takes John to heaven in his spirit, his body remains in Patmos. Again, a similar event that he had in chapter 1, verse 10 that he receives this through a special revelation and invitation from the Lord. By the way, let me just say this. When Jesus calls and invites, guess what we ought to do? We ought to go. And so not that John could have fought this and he didn't fight it, but when Jesus calls and we truly hear him and he speaks to us, we need to be the kind of people who surrender to those words as we will always be taken and led by him when we agree with him, submit to him, And as he leads us, and so John is invited, John comes and he begins to see things. Everything in Revelation chapter 4 is centered around the throne of God. Every aspect of Revelation chapter 4. There's all kinds of things happening at the throne. 
So let's just listen to those and we'll go through them in a loop. There's a throne that stood in heaven. There's one seated on the throne. Around the throne was a rainbow. Around the throne were 24 elders. From the throne came flashes of lightning. From the throne were burning seven torches. Before the throne, there was, as, as it were, a sea. And around the throne... And on each side of the throne, give thanks to him who is seated on the throne. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they cast their crowns before the throne. Do you get the idea? The throne room in heaven is a really, really big deal. So as John is invited up to come in and he begins to see this revelation of the throne room of heaven, the throne has this really big centerpiece that John is to see and understand. It is critical for us to understand, to understand heaven, to understand this reality. As John gets there, it's clear all through chapter four, he can't take his eyes off of him who is on the throne and the activity of those before the throne, how they are responding to the one who sits on the throne. All this teaches us this, that the centrality of God in heaven is critical for our understanding. This throne is what John sees first and what he fixes his eyes on and he begins to seek out and understand what is happening and taking place. And so the question comes is, why all of this emphasis on the throne? We are not to see the throne just as a majestic piece of furniture that's in heaven. The throne is to be seen as a place of the sovereign rule of God. And so while in heaven, John's seeing this, he sees the throne of God. And in this throne room, we get introduced, moving forward, to to three sets of seven events of the tribulation. The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And they all pour forth from the throne room. And this indicates the sovereignty of God that he is ruling over the world. It's interesting what John writes here. I don't know if you noticed it. It says a throne stood in heaven, not sat in heaven. A throne stood in heaven. Why did John see the throne as standing? Usually when we speak of furniture, something's sitting in the den. It's sitting in the living room. It's something that's in the corner over there. But when John sees the throne, the throne is standing. What's the meaning of this? How, do we, how are we to understand this? It simply means this, that the rule of God, as he sits sovereignly on his throne in heaven, is strong, it is permanent, it is trustworthy. It is the only type of throne that God would have. Listen to this. What's the throne doing? It is standing in honor of him who is seated on it exalting him, this, even this very throne in heaven, exalting and holding the glory of God. This word stands means stability in the Greek. It means firmness and durability. So this is the place that John is seeing where real authority is founded. It rests. It's the place of ultimate authority and power. So John sees a number of things connected with it. And what I would like to do now is walk through all that John sees. The first thing that John sees about the throne is him who is seated on it. And the one who is seated on it is the heavenly father. 
That's who John sees. We're not introduced to Jesus yet until Revelation chapter 5 when he comes to him who's seated on the throne and, and the one who's seated on the throne gives the title deed to the earth to the lamb who is the lion. It's really interesting language. He's a lion who's a lamb, a lamb that's a lion and he gets the title deed to the earth because he's the only one who is worthy. And so John looks and he sees one seated on the throne. So this sovereign authority that we see here initially is connected to the Father. It's a reminder to us who is in charge today. So the throne room reminds God, John that God is in charge of the events of the past. God will be in charge of the events of the tribulation. God is in charge of absolutely everything. And so John would clearly see this. John would write these things down That God is both in control of history and the purpose of his creation. He is in charge of today. He's in charge of the future. So seeing, this is important, seeing and living in light of the Father's authority is an important vision that you and I are to have today. We need to take comfort today, right now in this moment. God has not allowed the world to get out of control. He has not allowed anything in our life to beyond his ability to do something or to continue to allow it to be. He is sovereign. And as he is sovereign, we know this, he is absolutely holy. And as he is absolutely holy, he is absolutely good in every single thing that God does. And so therefore, he is trustworthy. And so John sees this reality of the sovereign rule of God and his holiness and his goodness. And he knows that nothing can alter God's purposes In God's plan, nothing can be changed. God is immutable. He is unchanging. No person can frustrate God. Nothing frustrates Him. God never has never, nor will He ever relinquish His responsibility for the universe and for things moving forward. That means this, that He will never also ever relinquish authority and care over your life and my life. What an amazing reality today. Sometimes life seems out of control, does it not? We stay up late at night. There's difficult things. And I just want to remind us today, those of us who belong to him, he holds us. And because he holds us, we are safe and we are secure. So John sees the father, the one of absolute authority. Then John sees all of these colors And he sees these stones that are there. Look with me now. Verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. Let's talk about the colors and stones just for a moment. So as John sees the father seated on the throne, he sees this wondrous image of colors and he's captivated by the colors that he sees. I don't know how it is with you. Keith's in the room, our teacher. I, I love colors. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm an amateur, art, not artist, but art enthusiast. I, I love art. I love, I love the creativity and the, and the colors and the, the beauty of things that people do with paintings and other things like that. I love what God does every night with a sunset and every morning with a sunrise. 
and the things that he does in the springtime with the colors and the flowers and all of this. But nothing compares to what John is seeing here. He sees the Father in absolute authority, sovereign authority, ruling over the universe. And in great colorful majesty, the colors are saying, this one is unique, this one is different, no one is like him. And John sees emanating from the Father, the the beauty of the Father's glory just blazing forth in brilliant colors. And so John could only do this, and this is what I prayed a while ago, sometimes... Um, we, we only, we, we have this revelation from God in the scripture. And so we use language to try to give uh, depictions of what we are reading here and understanding to what we are reading here. I hope you realize that our, la- our human languages that were thwarted at Babel and have continued to be an issue, can, we can never come up with enough words ever in this lifetime to accurately describe where we are going and what we are going to see. I think there's, there's probably colors that we don't even know about and that there's more glory and there's more things. So John, in the moment, he's like, okay, this is all that I can do. I'm seeing all these colors. And so he describes them as stones as best he can, the majesty and the glory of what he is seeing. He uses this Greek word and says they are similar, they're like these stones. But it was really clear to him that they are not these stones. After all, how do you describe the indescribable? How do you do that? How how do you even begin to describe the indescribable? And so he uses words like jasper and carnelian and, and an emerald rainbow. Well, I just read it a while ago, but also, so not only is the Father on the throne, not only are these colors just emanating out of the throne, showing the majesty and the glory of the Father, but there are 24 elders that are gathered around the throne. Now, some of you may disagree with me on this. It's okay for you to be wrong about this. Um, I don't think these 24 elders, just my personal opinion, are the 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament and what we know is the 12 apostles, because later on in the book of Revelation, John writes the words, literally uses the words apostles. So I think in some ways this is leaders, elders, whatever the case may be, um, who they are. Um, um, this may be uh, ones who, who are going to lead out in kind of another different way, but they have this unique role in heaven at this particular point in time. And so verse 4 tells us, that around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. It seems as if these elders have already received their rewards. They've got white garments, and they have a golden crown that they are wearing. It's it's just an incredible picture of seeing these elders before Jesus, and they're living in proximity to his glory Can you not wait to get there to see that? That's where we're headed. To to see what what John is seeing here and what these elders are experiencing here, we will see that there are others that are gathered around the throne worshiping as well. Well, they're seated. These 24 elders are. What does seated indicate? It indicates rest. Their labors of their faithfulness of walking with him indicates that they are at rest now in the presence of God in heaven. They remind you and I that one day this life with all of its burdens 
its cares, its worries, its problems, they will be behind us forever and ever and ever. The old order of things are going to be done away with. There's going to be a new reality that God is going to do. And eventually we will go to a new home where nothing can hinder us like hinders us here. And so we were reminded of Jesus' words. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We will enter into heaven's rest. These 24 elders have entered into rest. They are seated on thrones, wearing white garments, which speaks of the righteousness of the saints, which, by the way, we get from the righteous one, Jesus. We don't have righteousness. He does. We have his righteousness And they have a golden crown. There are two types of crowns that the Bible talks about. One called a diadem and one called Stephanos. Stephanos was a victor's crown. If you won the Olympics, you'd get a Stephanos crown. This one is a ruling crown. It's a diadem. And it's golden from what the scripture sees here as John describes it. So you've got the father. You've got colors. You've got 24 elders before the throne. And then you've got all kinds of scenes and sounds. Look at verse 5 again. Or I don't think we've done 5. For from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits. And before the throne was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So John looks and he looks before the throne. He's like, wow, look at before the throne. Look at all of these things and all of these sounds and all of this rumbling and and, and all of this is happening and taking place. And John is beholding it. This reference here to the seven spirits in Revelation, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So guess what we are seeing in Revelation 4 and 5? We are seeing affirmation of the Trinity That the Father is there. We will see the Son in a moment. In chapter 5, we see the Holy Spirit here. And before the throne, there was, as it were, sea of glass like crystal. And then now in verse 6, in the second part of verse 6, there are these four living creatures that are gathered around the throne. So look with me there. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third with the face of a man. The fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. By the way, if these were one of these were to appear this morning, we would have... We would need adult diapers if they were up here in the room this morning. I mean, this is this crazy, majestic, angelic. These are cherubim, and they're going to speak in a minute, and they are worshipers. They're the ones that we see in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah gets the vision of the throne room of God. And so verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These creatures, the Greek word is a word called zoon and it means this, it means living ones. They have six wings full of eyes all around. They have faces of four. The lion representing wild creatures, strength. 
ox and cow indicating domesticated animals. Service, they serve domesticated animals. Man, one had the face of a man, the highest order of creation, the one who has reason and understanding, and the eagle representing flying animals, speed and agility. And I want you to notice this. In heaven are these creatures indicating earthly creatures all worshiping before the throne of God, acknowledging who he is, his glory, his majesty, his authority, and everything in heaven from verse 8 on is worship now from everyone before the throne to worship toward the throne to him who is seated on the throne. So look with me now in verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So again, all around the throne, this worship is happening and taking place. It's happening all at once, but it's not chaotic. John is seeing it all, and he's understanding everything that's said in the midst of, this is amazing. Some of you don't hear well. When we get to heaven, you're going to hear well. John gets there. There's peals of thunder. There's worship. John sees it all, understands it all. This this wonder of this place that we're going to is going to be incredibly amazing. And so here's John. He's taking it all in. And he's not confused by anything that he is seeing. This tells me simply this. Heaven is going to be an amazing place. Activity with no chaos. Activity that's all about worship in honor of who he is. These four creatures use language. This is what marks their worship. They use language to honor the Lord by saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They affirm his eternal nature. And I love what it says in the second part of verse 8. In day and night, they never cease to say this. They never stop. What's happening right now in heaven? These angels never stop saying, Holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who will ever be, who is to come. This worship never stops. There's never any kind of rest. Why do they worship? They worship because of God's holiness. His holiness is his uniqueness for there is no one like our God. Amen? No one is like him. And so they can't stop worshiping. And so watch this. As the four living creatures get into worship, the 24 elders are like, yeah, we want some of that too. So in verse 10, they fall down. And that means this, the word Greek word means to prostrate yourself. It means to lay flat out. They just lay off of their throne, get off of their thrones, and they lay down and they give honor and they worship him. This New Testament word for worship here means to give adoration with submission, to give reverence, to prostrate 
yourself before someone as an act of great reverence in regard to who they are. So they cast their crowns down. And their worship says that he alone brought salvation. None of it is ours. And so they honor him and they glorify him. This picture is the creature honoring and glorifying the creator. And they use this word axios. That's a, I know that's a big business today. I see a lot of commercials from that. This Greek word means worthy. It was used of the Roman emperors when they would come into a city after a great victory and they would be moving. They would shout to the emperor, Axios, worthy is the emperor. And these elders are in the angels and the creatures. They are shouting the worth of who he is. Now we're going to step into Revelation chapter 5. We've seen all this emphasis on the throne. Now we're going to see him who's seated on the throne is holding something in his hand. And what he's holding in his hand is a scroll. Back in the days, you would have scrolls that would be really long. And uh, what we're about to see here is this is the title deed to the earth. And the father seated on the throne is holding the title deed. How things worked back in the Roman world in legal proceedings is you would have this long scroll that would be there. They would write part of the contract here. It would be rolled up. There would be a seal there. They would roll it up, and then there would be another seal. Depending on the length of the top of the contract that was there, this is the way that would work. So as John looks, he sees it's one of these type of scrolls that the Roman world practiced. It had seven seals on it. There were seven things that were going to be happening and taking place. And the one who was seated on the throne is holding on, holding this. So we've just come out of this scene of this unbelievable worship of the Father before the throne. The four creatures are worshiping. The 24 elders are worshiping. And then you come to to Revelation 5, 9, the 4 and 24, they fall down. The 24 sing a new song they've never sung before. In 5, 12, the angels join in the worship. And then in 5, 13, all of creation joins in the proclamation of who Jesus is. So as Revelation 4 ended, we just saw a while ago that we were witnessing the 24 elders bow down, casting their crowns before him who was seated on the throne. Heaven was thundering. And lightning and voices were caught up in their love for the Almighty God. The scene was an amazing one. And now for John, his vision narrows from all of this to the hand of him who's seated on the throne. And he sees this scroll there. And everything in the rest of chapter 5 flows out of what's going to happen with this scroll that him who's on the throne holds. So we're going to go from a throne to a scroll and see the emphasis there. As we come to Revelation 5, we're still in this same throne room of heaven. And for a brief moment, worship in heaven pauses because they need to do a heavenly business transaction from the Father to the Son, and it's about to commence. What we are about to see, and we'll read here in a moment, clearly That in heaven, Jesus Christ is a central person in heaven as well. He is front and center of what's going to happen in the days ahead. Look with me in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within 
and on the back, sealed with seven seals. By the way, uh, in the Roman world, uh, once they once they rolled these things up, they would write on the outside like what this was about. Um, th- this is what this document is about. This, this is the contract that this is about. So as John looks, he sees, yes, it's sealed with seven seals, but he could see writing. He could tell that there was writing within, and he could see writing on the outside as well. And we'll learn here in a moment, this is a fulfillment of what we learn in Psalm chapter 2, that Jesus is the one who gets the title deed to the earth. And that's why he's so key and central to the gospel going out and for people coming to know who he is. So let's talk about the significance of the scroll just for a moment. John now becomes centered on the throne and the scroll that's in the right hand of him. He sees the seven seals that are on it. And again, it is the title deed to the earth. On the inside of the scroll is the awful story of sin, the rejection of Christ, the tragedy and the death and the failure and the defeat. On the outside of the scroll would be the terms of redemption. And if we could read those terms, we would find that the Redeemer is the one who is willing to redeem and who is worthy to redeem. And the only person who could open the seal was the one who had the legal right or had the rights as an heir who was worthy enough to be able to receive it and to open it. So look at verse 2. So John sees the scroll in the right hand of him. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Twenty times. In the book of Revelation is the phrase loud voice. They're wanting people to listen. Are people listening? Are we listening? So the angel shouts as if it would go to all corners of the universe and to the earth. Is there anybody who is worthy enough to be given the title deed to the earth? The one who is to get great honor and the great glory and the great majesty. And so the angel shouts it out, trying to get the attention. The key to the entire vision here in this instance, is there anybody who is worthy to open the scroll? So the issue at hand is the worth of the person. And so once someone would have began to unroll the scroll Then the tribulation would begin and the search was on for someone who had the perfect character, the one who was worthy to be able to do this. And so the angel is not listening to this. He's not calling for anybody who's willing to open it or try to open it. Probably find somebody who was willing. A lot of godly people in our past, they're in heaven. In this instance, Moses is there. Paul's there by this time. There's a lot of godly people, probably a lot of people willing, but that's not the issue. It's not willing. It's one who is worthy by nature. And so the call is deeper than just opening the scroll. It's a search for one who is worthy to open it up and to make everything right in regard to Satan and sin and redemption and all of this. And guess what happens? Silence. Is anybody worthy? Anybody worthy? And there's just silence. There's enough silence that John's like, oh, no, we we got problems. There's nobody worthy to come and get 
the scroll from him seated on the throne. So look at verse 3. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside of it. The call from the angel is met by silence. Nobody's worthy to open the scroll. Nobody's worthy to look inside the scroll. Even though there are 24 elders already dressed in white garments and they have been given golden crowns and they are right by the throne, they are not worthy. I want to talk about history's men for a moment. Please hear this. Men without God have always, men without God have always longed for a world to be ruled by peace by men. A sort of utopia that we could find on earth. And for many people today, they still think that man can bring about a golden age on the earth. And this quest has always failed. It will continue to fail. It will never be achieved by men. In Revelation, man will come to the end of himself so that he can see the only hope is God. And many men have tried to bring to the earth the peace and the utopia that our hearts long for and never have they accomplished it. Alexander the Great conquered the known world by the time he was the age of 33. And history tells us that he wept because he discovered that there was no place else for him to go and conquer. He couldn't redeem the world in his power and he left it worse than when he found it. Nebuchadnezzar was raised up in the great city of Babylon, but his empire fell apart. Julius Caesar came to power and led the legions of Rome all across Europe to bring the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And yet they never found peace. Hitler in the 20th century tried to institute a thousand-year Reich, but it ended in disaster. Eventually this world will see the rise of a demonic led man called the Antichrist. And he will come closer than any other mortal man to ruling the world, but in the end, he will merely ruin the world as well. And he too will prove that he is unworthy to possess the title deed to this planet and to rule over all. And so John weeps. Listen, church. We will continue to weep if we place our trust and hope in people bringing peace to this planet. Only Jesus can. Only brokenness will come from our longing for mankind to have the worth to do what's necessary. There is only one, and his name is Jesus And John immediately feels this hopelessness in the moment that no one was able to open the scroll. For if nobody opened it, nobody would know the purpose and the meaning of the scroll. There was no saint in heaven, not Abraham, not Moses, not David, or Paul was found worthy. Gabriel, angel Gabriel, Michael the angel, all the angelic hosts of heaven were not worthy to take the book. 
No one living on the earth. There was no king. There was no president. There was no ruler. There was no billionaire. There was no politician. There was no scientist. There was no philosopher. There was no preacher who was worthy to take the book. And the reality of no one being found worthy was so overwhelming for John that he absolutely, literally loses control and he weeps. This Greek word here for weep is the same Greek word that's used of Jesus twice in the Gospels. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And he went out, Jesus, or Peter, it's talking about Peter, he went out and Peter wept bitterly. You notice what John has here that seems out of place? I just read it a while ago. When we get to heaven, are there going to be any tears? No. But John has tears here. Now, this is not the future and the, the fi- finality of all this, but the reality here, this is the only place where we see tears in heaven, where John is considering the devastation that nobody is worthy to receive the title deed to the earth and to make things right. John's tears are similar to ours at times, and I can understand his tears. I've cried many, especially lately, wondering about the curse of sin and its effects on us. I long for the ultimate freedom that comes from Satan to be fully dealt with and for King Jesus to reign. I long for his coming to make things right, and John is broken over this, as we should be as well as we live here and we wait. It's hard. So what do we do? In our most dire moments of wondering, can any of this get fixed? Well, you know what we need? We need a vision of the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who laid down his life to die. So look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Another reference to the Holy Spirit there. And he went and he took the scroll from the hand of him who was seated on the throne. John, weeping, has an elder come over and says, hey, no, you don't need to do that anymore. And he says this word, stop that. It's not necessary for you to cry like that. It's out of place where we are. All is not lost, the elder is telling him. Notice the elder's words, weep not. Behold, you need to look. And he points to Jesus He points John to see the one who is worthy. And this has been the message that the church has been preaching for 2,000 years and that I'm doing again today. There is one who is worthy and his name is Jesus. And you and I must come to him for salvation. It cannot be earned. You cannot be baptized enough. I've told this before, but as a 12-year-old, I went on a Holy Land trip with my grandparents, I got baptized in the Jordan River. So what? 
only the blood and the worth and the majesty and the glory of Jesus grants unto you and I salvation. It is his work. It's not a where thing. It's not a what thing. It's a who thing. And it's him. And so, so the elder says, John, look, see. And John looks and he sees a lion of the tribe of Judah. This was promised in Genesis 49. He sees one who's the root of David, that the promised one would come, Jesus. And and John sees this, and he hears it from the elder. He has conquered. He has conquered. It is interesting that the elder has just told John, listen to this, that the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered, and yet when John sees Jesus, does he see a lion? What does he see? He sees a lamb. The word lamb occurs 29 times in Revelation, every one of them referring to the sacrificial death of Jesus for our sins. But he is a lion, and he is a lamb. His first coming, he was a lamb. and his second coming, he will be a lion. Lions tend to conquer. That's why they're called the king of the jungle. Lambs tend to surrender and to give in and as a lion he will return and he will bring about the purpose of his creation and history to its fulfillment he is a lamb it's interesting the greek word for lamb here means a little bitty pet lamb to listen to this picture just like the ones the jewish people would use or used on that first passover night in egypt The meaning is really clear in this reference when John looks and sees Jesus. He's seeing the Passover lamb. The true one. He's standing. He's slain. And he has seven horns anointed in the authority and the power as well of the spirit. Seven eyes equaling the seven spirits. Another reference to the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 is just powerful and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him he was seated on the throne Jesus was worthy he could come and he could get this scroll he had earned the right he had the right because of who he is to take the scroll and and Is he worthy to carry out the plans of the world? Absolutely, he is worthy to do so. And if he can carry out the plans of the world, guess what he can do in our lives? He can carry out the plans that he has for us in our lives as we surrender and we walk with him. And so I ask you the question this morning, is your life in his hands? Have you and I placed everything that we are and everything that we have and we've given it all to him? You see, God's solution to the problems of the earth revolves around a lamb who submits to death and who will return as a lion. That's God's solution. So our world is going to continue to offer solutions. But there's only one who brings the perfect solution. And he is the one who is Jesus. And we must trust in him. And so it's in this moment as Jesus takes the scroll, that everything in heaven after the silence makes a big, huge shift to worship. So look with me now, please, in verse 8. Let's read down to the end of the chapter. 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. By the way, music people, you're going to get into heaven. You're going to have a harp. You're going to get there. You're going to have a harp to play. And so you, you get in, okay? Not because you're a musician, because of the blood of the lamb. So here they are. They've got a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then it goes further than that. And I heard every creature in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, every creature in the sea and all that is in them saying this, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So let me stop there for a moment as we wind this down. They will sing a new song. They will fall down at the feet of the Lamb just as they did with the Father. And I want to remind you and I that when we get to heaven, we are not going to be robots. Do you see emotion there? Deep emotion. People moved by the worthiness of the Lamb to fall down, to sing, to glorify Him, to join together the, every hippo, every giraffe, every killer whale, every, every dolphin will cry out, worthy is the Lamb. All of creation are going to honor the reality that there's one central one who is worthy of everything and who has unbelievably chosen you and I and made a way so that you and I can know him to be placed into his hand and to be secure in his hand. We will be there worshiping. These golden bowls full of incense here, Have you ever wondered what happens to your prayers that you prayed? And we think, oh, they didn't leave the room. They're not worthy enough to go through the ceiling and get all the way to God. Can I tell you what happens to every prayer that's ever been prayed throughout history of those who have longed for the kingdom of God and longed for Jesus? These 24 elders are holding bowls that contain the prayers of God's saints. So don't think for a moment that the moments that we cry out that they've fallen on deaf ears, they are being preserved. And these 24 elders are holding these bowls full of incense. All these prayers in this bowl from the saints of all time who prayed and longed for Jesus to make everything right are now beginning to come true now that Jesus has been given the title deed to the earth. I also love this as we begin, as we close. Do you know that here? They don't forget what has been done in our time 2,000 years ago. John is seeing this at the end of the first century. 
but he's seeing things that are future. I think happening now as well, but these are the things that Jesus said are going to take place. And so here's John looking and he's seeing this reality and he's saying this to us and we're being taught here that when we get to heaven, you know, one of the things that we will do for all of eternity, we will never forget the lamb who laid his life down for us. We will not forget the cross. We will, I think, do all kinds of awesome things in heaven. Who knows what, what that's all going to be like. But we know for sure that we are never going to forget what was done for us on our behalf because of Jesus. And they sing a new song. They sing it because he was worthy to take the scroll. They sing because they've been ransomed. And they sing because now that they've become, they were sinners and now they have become kings and priests to our God. And the angels worship, all creation worships, and they will do so forever and ever and ever. And it just ends there. And the four living creatures said, Amen. That means so be it. This is true. This is right. This is the way that it is. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. I want to read one last verse as we finish. By the way, is that not amazing? That's our Jesus. The one who's worthy to take the scroll. Who came the first time as a lamb and who will return as a lion conquering his enemies. And he is worthy of worship. Until that day comes, life here is tough. But in the toughness, in the rawness of life, I, it should point us to remind us that this is not our home. We have a permanent home. So hear these words from Paul from Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, though, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? Now listen to this. 
Wow. But if we hope for what we can't see, that's just been written down for us, but we can't see it, we will wait for it, Paul says, with patience. Why? Because you know what the treasure is when this life is over? The one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open it. He's our reward. And so I wanted to remind us today of that. The best kind of house, the best kind of job, it's all good. But nothing compares when we will stand in the presence of the lamb who was slain and the lion who returned. And he made everything right. And he's worthy of our worship in every kind of way, no matter what. That's our Jesus. And we need to lift our eyes up and to be reminded that that's true, what we've looked at today. And he's worthy to walk with and to obey. Amen. Let's pray.